If anybody didn't need to build a team, it's Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was God in a human body. He, he was the one who existed before all things, before Abraham was, I am, bam, that's who Jesus was. Nobody could walk on what Jesus walked on water. He opened the eyes of the blind, raised the dead, takes five loaves and two fish and multiplies it and fills 20,000 people, Jesus. If anybody could have done it all, it was him. You know, but he had, he had disciples. He built a team. Now, even there, you know, ne never once do you read in the Gospels where Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, <laughs> appreciate your enthusiasm, but why don't you just take a seat, big boy? Yeah, this is, this is real stuff. This is only for the, no, no, he never did that. He sent the 12 out. He sent them out to preach and to heal. And they come back rejoicing that even the demons submit. And he's like, oh, guys, guys, priorities. Rejoice rather than names. Yes. You know. And so he's constantly teaching them and instructing them. He had Peter and John arguing over who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left, creating factions and jealousy and squarrels and squabbles that Jesus had to get involved in. And, and he has to grab a little kid. Hang on. Excuse me, mama. Can I grab you? Yeah. Guys, 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 look at me. Look at me. Whoever's greatest like, is like this kid. Least in the kingdom will be great. Who wants to be great? We all want to be great. Great. Then become least and the servant of all, you know, and so thank you, Mama. And you see, you know, then he's got Judas stealing from him. Judas is stealing. Thomas is doubting. I don't even believe this. You know, it's like Jesus rises from the dead after telling him he's going to do it. I don't believe it unless I see it. It's like, you've just been with, Je are you kidding you with God for three years and you're still living in unbelief, Bartholomew? What the, with Bartholomew? You were with Jesus for three years and we don't read about you no more. What the heck? And, and so, so Jesus had issues with the disciples, but he didn't stop him building a team. He built a team. People are, are you going to be your greatest headache, but your greatest resource. We tell all our interns, they're going to be unbelievably sacrilegious. And if you're looking for a religious church, I'm so glad to be able to help you find out that we're not the right one. Um, <laughs> But, but we tell all our interns, the, the best book to read if you really want to do something in ministry is how to win friends and influence people. Because we have people graduating from seminaries with degrees and divinities and in theology and all kinds of stuff that do not know how to build a team. They do not know how to resolve conflict. They do not know how to. And let me just tell you, it's all about people. The vision of God is people. God so loved the world, not the planet, the world, the people. God so loved people. And so it's amazing how many pastors have great divinity but poor people skills and they never accomplish the kingdom. It's all done through people. God loves people. God loves you. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, come with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. I love Genesis. Genesis 2 verse 7. It's so great to have Kirsty Wells here. Lovely Kirsty. She was in my youth group. And now she is literally the engineer behind such things as Presence Conference, Global, all the global days and just making an impact. And she was a miracle baby and she's still a miracle today. And we just love you, Kirsty. Speaking of love, I also love Laura M. Card. And uh, M stands for, almost said it, I won't say it. Can you stand up, Laura? Laura right now lives in, uh, attends Mill City Church in Wisconsin. She is one of us. She's one of us. But she, her, mama, uh, her mama had some health things. So Laura, being an incredible daughter, went to look after her mama. But I've got to be honest, by all the Instagram, mama looks pretty good. So I'm thinking, <laughs> anyway, but we miss you and we love you, Laura. God bless you. So Genesis 2 verse 7, you guys all there? 
says this, and the Lord God formed, everyone say formed. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. The Lord God formed the man. It's interesting because in Genesis 1, God created man. It says that God created man in his image and in his likeness. But in Genesis 2, it go, goes a little bit deeper. It says that God didn't just create him, he also formed him. He also formed him. When, when, when we started this, this church, and I say we because I, I, I like to believe that the Holy Spirit was the one suggesting all the ideas. Because if I was honest with you, I had no idea what I was doing. Never started a church before. Love being a youth pastor. Youth pastoring is easy. It's easy. Do things that could almost land you in jail. And youth will love you. You know, it's like, and, uh, and so I kind of live right on that edge. And I loved it. I thought, man, me and Naughty, just like, this is like a hand and a glove. So I said to Pastor Phil, I said, Pastor Phil, I'm going to be a youth pastor till the day Jesus splits the sky. Man, I want to do it. And then he said, he said, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Youth pastor guy. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted a church in uh, San Diego. Yeah, I want you to pray about it. I'm like, me? And so anyway, so we prayed about it. We ended up here. So I'm driving on the freeway, five freeway, just Drove over, I can still see it like yesterday, over the, the ridge there at Delmar Heights, down to Via De La Valle, heading north. And the Holy Spirit said to me, what kind of church are you going to plant? And I, I was like so pumped. I'm like, oh, yes. Uh, so I started telling him. I'm like, ah. Oh. And then I realized, oh, hang on. Don't. Hang on. Remove foot. Remove foot from mouth. Because I realized God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. So it's not that he doesn't know. I'm like, oh, shoot. Hang on. Trick question. Uh-huh. Let me back up. God, what kind of church would you want me to plant? And then he gave me three words. He said, fresh, real, powerful. And then uh, I said, God, I'm having a really hard time because in Australia, Kirsty will tell you that the style of our church in Australia is known as a Pentecostal church. So all the Aussies that come over say, wow, you guys move in the Spirit. You allow the Holy Ghost to, to move and breathe and prophecy and speaking in tongues. That's a Pentecostal church. But when I came over here, people said, do not say Pentecostal church because they think of snake handlers. You know, we're a Pentecostal church next week, Pastor Leanne. She going to be pulling out a rattler just to show how spiritual she is. Now, she's tried that on me a few times ever since the, my life insurance thing. She brings them home. Now she brings them home and puts them in the bed. And I, whoa, there's a rattler in here. She's like, you know, they shall pick up serpents and by no mean harm them. I'm like, well, I got a lie on it. She always does that. And I don't know why that is. And uh, anyway, that's not true. But anyway, so, um, so he said, fresh, real powerful. So I said, oh, Holy Spirit, you know, and then if I say charismatic, if you say charismatic church, they think TBN crowd. You know, they think the big old hair and, you know. And, uh, and so, so, so the Holy Spirit said, life-giving. You, you, you're to be a life-giving church. So the scripture I'm going to teach today is because we're on a series, and this is the overflow of presence. So watch this. It says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And then it says, and the Lord God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And Adam, <sighs> Adam becomes a living being. And then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Then if you go down to verse 21, it says that God put Adam into a deep sleep. And then God came and removed one of Adam's ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And from the rib, he created the woman, and he brought her to Adam. 
And Adam, when he saw the woman, said, this is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. She shall be called womb man, man with a womb, for she was taken out of man. So I want to talk on the topic of awaken today. That when you, when you come into C3, when you come into this house, that there is, a, there is an assignment from heaven. And I believe it's the original intent of God to awaken you. In Genesis 1, God created man in his image. You and I, the fact that we're alive have been created. We, you carry and you bear the DNA of your biological mother and your biological father. But it is one thing to be created. It is another thing to be formed. I believe that, I believe that God got his hands into the dirt because that's what it takes to form something. God created the heavens with the words of his mouth. God said, let there be light. Light was. God said, let there be an expanse. And he called it heaven. God said, let dry land appear. And dry land appeared and he called it earth. God said, let the seas be gathered. And they were gathered into one place. God said, let the ground produce and the ground produce. God said, let wild animals and livestock and cattle. God said, let the, the, the oceans be filled and with teeming life. God said, let the sky be filled with birds. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. The Bible says that God's word sets the boundaries. God's word sets the boundaries over something. When God says tree, it is tree. It is tree. When God says cow, it is cow. It can never be dog. It can never be plant. It, it will always be cow. So when God comes to man, God breaks, God breaks cycle. God, God, God breaks from the script. He doesn't say man. God, God instead goes down into the dust and he forms the man. The reason he forms and not speaks is because man will be a speaker himself. And God says to Adam, there is no ceiling and no limitation to what you can be. There is no ceiling or limitation to what you can be. If you would have said to somebody a hundred years ago, one day man will walk on the moon, they would have looked at you like you got rocks in your head. If you would have said, man, we're going to create things that are going to go out into outer space and around, people said you would have got rocks in your head. If you would have said, we're going to be able to find a way to go to the deepest parts of the ocean and we can spend hours down there, we, you know, circumventing the, the, the ocean floor, people would have said, you got rocks in your head. But because God created man using his hands, not with a word, there was no ceiling. The devil is a liar. Listen, the devil knows that you and I are vulnerable and susceptible to words. So, so we are constantly requiring affirmation. We, were, we are constantly acquire limitation because people told you you are never going to amount to much you're not going to be anything you're no good why can't you be more like your brother why can't you be more like your sister you got ADD you got ADHD you got a disability you got this and you got that and we allow those words to come and resonate but I want you to know in this house there is an anointing there is a spirit there is a breath of God that will breathe on you so the forming happens through discipleship we make no apologies that discipleship is hands-on. Discipleship is, is engagement. It is a contact sport. The, the culture when we came here was very much a spectator culture. The church that, that, that we experienced was, I'm the man of God. Hallelujah. 
I'm the man of God and I don't mix with the commoners because I'm separated unto the Lord holy and I'm the man of God. It's what we call man of God syndrome, mugs. And so I'm the man of God and I just come up and I deliver the word, hallelujah. And this week an angel doth come unto me and yea, verily he spaketh unto me. And, and, and it's kind of like that. But, but, but we, we, we found that, we found that uh, that's number one, way too hard. To, to kind of live in that fairy tale land that doesn't exist. Uh, but it's, it helps kind of if you want to, you know, over people. But, but we decided, now let's, let's actually do what the Bible says. You know, Jesus walked among them. Jesus hung out with the disciples. That we want to we create a discipleship church because that, that is the kind of the great suggestion. I mean, commission. Going to all the world and make disciples. But discipleship is a little bit messy because it requires contact. God contacted. And if, if I was honest with you, you don't just, you just don't want just the word. You need contact. 21st century, people are craving connection more than anything else. To find my tribe, to find my people, to find my friends, to find who am I connected to? Who am I doing life with? The Bible says one sits flat to a thousand, but two, ten thousand. There's a multiplying effect. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. Two are better than one. One can be overpowered, but two can withstand him. Two are better than one, the Bible says. For if one falls, the other can help him up. Two are better than one. Can one be warm alone? No, but two can keep one another warm. Two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So the Bible talks about two. And so we found that, that, that Jesus and the disciples had two by two because Jesus was a discipler he came making disciples say so in this church we want you to know that yes you were created and we celebrate God's creation of you he did an awesome thing when he made you but we want you to know we are also engaged in the forming of God's gifts the forming of God's identity the forming of God's character the forming of God's intention and purpose so that you begin to walk out your best life right now now let me tell you you know in my life when I got saved Pastor Becky you were way ahead of me girl you said you were a hot mess oh dear Jesus I don't even know what that even makes me but I'm telling you I was a mess but thank God for people that got in my face had difficult conversations told me things I did not want to hear told me the truth when oh dear God I thought I was fooling everybody and they could see it but thank God for that thank God for people that love me enough to tell me the truth so God formed the man I'm sidetracked but let me just keep going so he forms the man and then the Bible says that God breathes in Adam's nostrils the breath of life now I want to just I want to just focus on this because for God to to breathe now so so he's formed the man he's formed the man from the dust of the ground so as he forms the man, head there, feet there, arms, lungs, heart, liver, kidney, spleen, digestive tract, brain, eyes, ears, optic nerve, tongue, taste, sound, like all of this. All of this is all in there. And it's, it's inanimate until God breathes his spirit. You will find, you will find that your, your soul aches for the infilling of the Spirit of God. The greatest day of my life was January 1986 when Jesus came into my heart and I was born again. But the second one was the 2nd of January, 1989, where I went on, up onto a prayer meeting and I got prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fell back on concrete, no catches. That's when you know it's legit. Oh my. And uh, thanks guys. <laughs> 
and I'm laying there and, and this beautiful American lady leans over me. She goes, just speak in tongues, honey. <laughs> and I looked at her and I wanted to say, oh, I don't know how, but out of my mouth comes, she goes, he's got it. Glory to God, he's got it. Yeah. And she starts, she starts doing a jig. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, she's like, you know, she's doing this jig and, and I'm there and I'm trying to stop. I'm like, and I wanted to tell her, no, I don't know how to do it, but my tongue's twisted. And she goes, just let it, just let it flow. And so it's, you know, it's flowing. <laughs> anyway, half an hour later, I stand up. I can hardly stand up. And there's these beautiful, t- these two elderly people who were the, the, the parents of the, the pastor. And, uh, and they said, let us help you up, son. And, and I'm like, you're old, I'm young, I can help myself up. But I fell into a pole and then I realized I needed their help. And so they, they're holding me and I'm laughing so hard. I was completely drunk on the Holy Ghost. I'd never experienced anything like it. They had to lay me in the back seat of my car and my best friend Mike had to drive my car home because I was just shabradaria. And then I made the stupid mistake, I get home and I'm like, my dad's an atheist. Oh. Oh, yeah. How's he going to explain this? So next morning, like, I think it was like 5.45, I just walk into his bedroom. Dad, you're an atheist. He's like, what the? You know, he's like waking up. I said, explain this. And how I didn't end up in a mental asylum is, you know, it's like, so I don't recommend doing that. But I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I got filled with the power of God. All of a sudden now the Holy Spirit began to regenerate and he began to, he began to, he, he, he will take you out of yourself. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 and, and John and Becky will know I'm way off script. Uh, the Holy Spirit says, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 that the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. Indeed, no, no one understands the things of a man, but the spirit of a man. Likewise, no one knows the things of God, but the Spirit of God. Yea, verily, the, the Spirit searches the things of God and then quickens it to us. So the Holy Spirit comes and He, he will take you beyond your pay grade, beyond your education, beyond your understanding, beyond your cognitive, beyond your experience, beyond your history. He'll take you, he will take you beyond. When He takes you beyond, He takes you. That's why all of a sudden you'll speak in languages you never learned. Because He's trying to say, because I'm the God that, that, that super exceeds your education, your background, your understanding. Everything is familiar. Let go. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Come and follow me out here. I'm calling you out upon the waters, oceans deep, feet may fade. Yeah, He's calling you out there. He's calling you out beyond yourself. That's where he lives. He lives out there. So all of a sudden you're like, you're speaking in languages you've never learned. You're seeing pictures of stuff like, man, what on earth is that? It's the Holy Ghost trying to show you, you and I are trapped in time. But he's like, man, life is too short for you to live in this three-dimensional existence. I'm going to bring you into a fourth dimension. I'm going to take you outside of time. When he took Moses up onto the mountain, Moses looked back and he saw the creation. So he writes Genesis 1-1, but he wasn't there but he writes it like he's an eyewitness because when God took him up onto a mountain he took him outside of time into the spirit where he looks all the way back to the beginning and he looks all the way to the end where he sees himself dying on Mount Nebo and then being so you know you know man you know it's like it's just an amazing thing so God wants you to operate in a supernatural dimension so the Holy Ghost comes to awaken to awaken the infinite possibilities that exist in God 
Let me just tell you this. The devil does not want you to hear this message. That when the Bible says you are the head and not the tail, above only, not blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed going in, blessed going in. The devil doesn't want you to hear this because he doesn't want you to believe that with the Spirit of God on the inside of you, that you are an unstoppable force. That with you and God, you become the majority. The greater is he that is on the inside of you than he that is in the world. He wants you to understand. So God breathes into Adam the breath of life and Adam becomes a living being. But for God to breathe into Adam, for God to breathe his spirit into Adam, there was a proximity deal. Because for God to breathe into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life, meant that if Adam is laying there and God put his mouth over Adam's face and went, (sighs) that meant that when Adam opened his eyes, the first thing he saw was the face of his father. The Bible calls, if you look at the genealogies, it says, it talks about Seth, the son of Adam, Adam, the son of God. The first thing that Adam sees is the face of his father. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven. The first thing that Adam sees, the first thing, the first, when he steps from that realm of unconsciousness into consciousness, into awareness, his first indelible impression is the face of his father. Why? Because the first thing that God will awaken is a thing called identity. Identity. Identity is so significant that two-thirds of Satan's temptations on Jesus was around identity. Was around identity. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for it. Why, 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 why would he? Like God had just spoken in an audible voice. You are my son, Simba. Sorry, sorry. Uh, <coughs> You are my I just think he talks like Mufasa. You are my son. This is CNN. Luke, I'm your father. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it just sounds, anyway, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus heard that audibly. He goes out and the devil doesn't say, well, leave that one alone. Here, you want to smoke a joint? No, no. Satan, even though Jesus just heard an audible voice saying, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. The most, see, uh, at our ranch, one of the goals at our ranch is we want to build a, uh, a rescue, rehab, shelter, training center for young girls and even young boys who have been uh, caught up in sex trafficking. All of the traffickers know one thing. They know one thing. The first thing they do is they steal your identity, whether it's your passport, driver's license, any of that, because... Uh, they know you can't get away. You can't break if someone else is holding your. They know that whoever holds your identity controls your destiny. I don't think you heard that. The devil knows whoever holds your identity controls your destiny. The reason that the devil goes after identity is because whenever God speaks, God speaks in the language of destiny, but we hear in the language of identity. Moses, Moses, go down to Egypt and command Pharaoh to let my people go. 
destiny. Moses responds, identity. Who am I that I should go? He comes to Gideon. Gideon, you mighty man of valor. You'll defeat Midian as one man. Have I not sent you? He's speaking to Gideon, destiny. But Gideon responds, who am I that I should go against? Indeed, I'm the least in my father's house and I'm the least in our clan and our clan is the least. And he, he responds back with identity. The devil knows if he can rob your identity. The devil does not want you to discover that you bear the imago day that you carry the image of God, that you, that you are created and fashioned in the image and the likeness of the living God. Now watch this, watch this. The first thing that Adam sees is the face of his father. First thing he sees. May I suggest to you that if this is the first thing that we see in the Scripture, that it is also possibly the most important thing. If you are a father, may I suggest to you that even though time and, and business and, and economics and pace and trying to keep a roof over their head and contracts and deals are, are there, your presence, your, your face, even if it's in the crowd at your son's little league game, just for him to look and see daddy's face. You may be on your smartphone. You may be taking calls and calls, but the fact that he can see daddy's face, that tells him that I'm valuable. It tells him I was important enough for my daddy to be there. When he hits and he makes it to the base and you're standing, go son, and he sees daddy in the crowd, what it puts into a child. For, for, for your daughter at the recital, at the dance, at the ballet, the, the, the gymnastics, at cheer, whatever she's, for her to see daddy's face, for her to see her father's face. We'd have a lot less girls in prostitution and the sex trade if there were more daddies present when they were little kids. Every little kid, daddy, look, no hands. Daddy, look. My, my little Zoe, when she learned to ski two years ago, she was obsessed with daddy. You got to see daddy. Watch this. Daddy, chase me. Daddy, follow me. Daddy. It was all about, it wasn't just the accomplishment of an event. It had to be the witness. It had to be the approval. It had to be the affirmation. It had to be the value of a father. The devil comes after fathers. 91% of prison inmates, 91% of prison inmates, father absent households, which meant they went to Little League and there was no face of a father in the crowd. They played football with no face of the father. They went to school and got bullied and there was no face of a father in a chair to say, Daddy, how do I respond? Daddy, what do I do with the bully? Daddy, these kids are picking on me. Daddy, these kids are offering me drugs. Daddy, the gangs want me to do this. No father's face in a chair to counsel. There's no father's face present. And so they end up on the wrong side of the tracks. You need to understand the devil knows that where there's no father, there's no covering. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the house. Unfortunately, we think head of the house, boss, lorded over. Head of the house is responsibility and covering. The, the, the authority over the house is the father. The father is meant to be the gatekeeper. He's meant to be the doorkeeper. He's meant to be the one that, that, that keeps out and allows in. That's his job. And the devil knows that in a house where there's no daddy, it's just, it's just, it's just for, uh, ripe for the picking. He can come in. So you will find that behind every shooter, don't listen to the media, don't listen to the lies. Behind every single shooter is one common denominator, no father. There was no father present to say your life is one of value. Your life is one of purpose. Your life is one of significance. You were born son to do something magnificent. But you will find in every one of those occasions, no 
father, no father, no. Why? Because hurting people hurt people and they are vulnerable to the seeds of the devil to come in and say, why don't you take some of that pain and inflict it on somebody else? Why don't you turn that pain into hate and that'll make you feel better. There are jail cells filled with people that have no face of the father. You need the face of the father. Now you may say, well, what do I do? Because that's my story. That's my story. I never knew my dad or, or I grew up without my father. I grew up with an abusive father. I grew up in a, the most beautiful thing is I can tell you, I can testify that when I came into the house of God, God became my father and he is a perfect father and he will father you and he will heal you and he will fill in all the gaps and all that is broken and all that was deprived and all that was missing, all that was robbed and all that was stripped from you. Your heavenly father will begin to put in. He'll begin to put into you. So, so, we, so we find that Adam, oh sugar, so that Adam now sees the face of his father. This is so important because when you look into a mirror, you see your flaws. When, when we look into the mirror, I see, oh my gosh, I've got another wrinkle. When I look into the mirror, my eyebrows, what are you doing? When I look into the mirror, okay, I've got to get this hair. When I look into the mirror, you know, oh dear, got this, you know. Don't you fib, Ashley. You do the same thing. I love Leanne. She loves... No, she doesn't do that. Anyway, and... Uh, when you look into a mirror, you don't actually see you. you. Your identity cannot be discovered from looking into the mirror because when you look into the mirror, you don't see you so much as you see your reflection. All you see is your reflection. That's why you can look into the mirror at even 80 years of age and still wonder who, who am I? Who is the one staring back at me in my reflection? Because you, you will never discover who you are until you go from here to here. Because you were made in His image and in His likeness. And until you come to a face-to-face, -face, that's why don't settle for religion. The devil loves religion. You know, he doesn't want you coming to church and being religious, but he does not want you to have a face-to-face -face encounter. He doesn't want you being born again and seeing that you are made and fashioned in the image and the likeness of God with no ceiling, with no limit on the potential of who you can be and what you can do with God on the inside of you, who or what can be against you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Though an enemy rise against you one day, he will flee from you seven ways. There's something about finding, finding yourself in God. When you, when you look into that face, we, we, we see this out told in the story of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, and it's so easy to read over. It's so easy to gloss over it. The, the, the prodigal son says that there was two sons and the younger comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. Now you need to understand Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. So in, in the Jewish economy, the, the son's job is to look after the aging father. Uh, a father and a mother have a son so that they have welfare in their old age. The son will take on the responsibility. When Jesus was on the cross departing, Mary was in the crowd, but so was his beloved disciple, John. And he says to John, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He was taking care of business even while he was on the cross, making sure that mama, and the Bible says from that day, this disciple took her into his home and provided and cared for Mary, the mother 
father of Jesus because Jesus was departing, going to heaven. He still fulfilled his obligations. So, so this, is, this is anathema to the Jews. This is horrific to the Jews that this young punk, this arrogant, this evil, this son of Lucifer, just like Lucifer did to God in heaven, took what, what God put in him and squandered it all on himself in the same way. And so you, the, the Jews would be incensed at this story that he took his father's inheritance, even though the dad was still alive. He says, as far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. Now give me what's mine when you die, because I, I probably won't even be anywhere near you. And so he goes off to a far country, Vegas, and he's spending it on wild living. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas except it doesn't it stink stains your soul but nobody tells him that and so he's there the Bible says when he ran out of money there was a famine because the world is always empty the world will never be able to satisfy you and so he joins himself to a citizen of that country who sends him into the field to feed his swine so Jesus again provocative language Feed his swine. Swine all the way through the Torah is an unclean animal. The Jews didn't keep swine. So here is he is so compromised. He, he, he is so far from God that he's now feeding what is unclean in his life. And the Bible says one day he's feeding the pigs pig slop and he yearned for the pig slop. And the Bible says, and he came to himself and he says, man, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair? And here I am perishing with hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll arise and I'll go back to my father's house. But I'll say to him, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The Bible says that he gets up and he makes his track. The Bible says when the father sees him a long way off, he gets up and runs towards him. Which is interesting because number one, the way that the, the Jewish culture works, that uh, an old man should never run. It's an undignified thing for an old man to run. And yet the old man didn't care about his dignity wow. more than he cared about. God wants you in his kingdom. God didn't care about him being dignified when he was crucified. Let me just say that again. God did not care or prioritize being dignified when they stripped him naked and beat him and nailed him to a piece of wood when he was crucified because God was running after you just on the glimpse, on the hope. When someone's in the distance, you can't tell that it's them. It just could be, it just might. Jesus died for everybody that would, he just died for, not everyone has accepted him, not everyone maybe will, but he died for everybody and just on the hope, on the hope that whosoever, that all who would come to him, he would by no means drive away, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the father runs and, and, and falls on him and begins to kiss him. And, and the boy now, now monologues what he rehearsed. And he falls and he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You notice in the story, the father completely, completely disregards the statement. And he says, put a new robe on him. Take this, this, this pig-stained robe off him and put a brand new robe on him. And then the father takes the signet ring off his finger and he slides the signet ring on the son's finger. And then he puts sandals on his feet. Those three things, the new robe speak of identity. The first thing the father restores is his identity. That you are, you, you, may, you may say or feel 
or confess that you're disqualified because of your sin, because of your transgression, because of your dishonor and your violations. But I want you to know you are part of this family and I'm clothing you. You're wearing the clothes of this family. I'm putting a new robe on you. You are not my servant. You are my son. You are not a hired servant. You are my son. But then he takes the signet ring off and he puts it on him and he says, son, I'm also restoring to you full authority full rights as a son if you want to go down to home depot bam you can buy whatever you want to put a new kitchen in your little plate bam you can put you want to go to mossy nissan bam you want to go to san diego mercedes okay no, bam you, that, that, that that's what it was it was the signet ring was basically on my father's account, on my father's account. That's called authority. So God's going to restore. First of all, he's going to begin to restore your identity. But second thing, he'll restore your authority. Third one is sandals on the feet. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread. God is going to restore to you destiny, your purpose. The, the God. But you know what? The father does one thing. One thing, and I want to land on this. One, he does one more thing that, that, that always gets glossed over in church, unfortunately. Because the, the, the religious mind cannot grasp the freedom of God. Let me say that again. We just did a religion rehab series. The religious mind cannot grasp or celebrate the freedoms of God. The father doesn't just put a new robe on him. Doesn't just put a signet ring on his finger. Doesn't just put sandals on his feet. But actually calls for them to slaughter the fatted calf. The older brother doesn't pipe up. When, when the new robe's on. He doesn't pipe up with equal rights being restored with the authority. He doesn't pipe up with sandals on the feet purpose, but he does get indignant. He does get jealous. He does get angry about the celebration, about the fatted calf. Why would God, why would God show us this story? Because God wants you to know that one of the most powerful things that can happen in this house is an awakening of your value. The Father doesn't just restore identity, authority, purpose, destiny. The Father says, all of that without this, your life is worth celebrating. You are richer when people are celebrating with you. The day that you entered this world, the day that you were born, the day that you, that, that day, the world got better, the world got brighter the day that you came. You should have people around you who love you, who celebrate you. The church community, that's what it's all about. Because value. The devil is a value thief. How do I know this? Because the story of Joseph, and I've got to finish, I've got 12 seconds. The story of Joseph, he dreams a dream. And after he's criticized and mocked, he dreams an even bigger dream because he wears his father's favor as a coat. He knows my daddy thinks I'm awesome. My daddy, he has high value on himself. So what does the devil do? The devil has him thrown into a pit and then sold to the Ishmaelites who take him down to Egypt. And he's sold for 20 pieces of silver. 20 pieces of silver is the ancient currency for a slave. The acquisition or the purchase of a slave was 20 pieces of silver. When Judas betrayed Jesus, it was the same price. It was a slave price. 
the world wants to revalue and devalue you. Because Joseph was there witnessing as they chained him up. He witnessed the Ishmaelites counting out 20 pieces of silver into the hands of his brothers, signatures being put on a papyrus reed and then rolled into a scroll and handed to the Ishmaelites. And now they own Joseph as he watches his brothers walk away and he's dragged off to a foreign land where he's again found on a dais and he's sold to Potiphar, the chief executioner of Pharaoh. This happened because the devil wanted to erase the dreams from the dreamer. He wanted to crush the destiny of the dreamer. And the devil knows the only way I can do that is to destroy his sense of worth and value. Here's one of the saddest things I've discovered. A woman always dates her self-esteem. Now, thank God Leanne's was at an all-time low when she met me. I did profit from that. But... I've seen some of the most lovely, beautiful young ladies dating absolute jack wagons. And you think, my God, why? And then you talk to them, you begin to realize, wow, you don't see what everyone else sees. You see through the lens of a transaction that happened, an event that happened, a traumatic moment that happened some type of abuse, some type of failure, some mom and dad got divorced and it was put on you like it's your fault. And so you were belittled and you were devalued and now you live out of that devalue moment and you settle for, you you give yourself away. A man doesn't even need to stand on an altar with a ring and say, come hell or high water in sickness and in health for for richer, for poorer till death do us. You don't even need that. All he's got to do is just smile at you half and you're already in giving everything before the because of something that devil is a value thief but God doesn't just restore identity he doesn't just restore authority he doesn't just restore purpose he come to restore value I want you to know you are so valuable to God that you are worth celebrating how do I know that because the Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents when just one person when just The day that I got saved, January 1986, there were angels celebrating in heaven. I didn't understand, but all I knew on the inside of me was this warmth and this glow and this buzz that I'd somehow found home. I somehow found connection. I found life. I didn't know what it was, but the angels were celebrating. God wants you to know that your life is so valuable, so precious, that when God had a math equation, live all eternity and lose you or leave eternity and step into time be humiliated mocked beaten spat upon have a crown of thorns rammed into your head be beaten by roman soldiers scourged and whipped and then crucified on a cross to gain you jesus chose the latter god chose the latter he was saying i would rather die the most excruciatingly painful, humiliating death than live all eternity without you in my family, without your face at my table. That's why he did all of that. Friend in this house, and Mike Butcher told me not to tell you that I had three points today and I didn't get through one, so I'm not going to tell you that. Because he told me not to tell you, so I'm not telling you that. 
but I felt the Holy Ghost just leading down trails today. And, and I'm telling you, and I know, I know I, didn't, I didn't speak it to you as well as I heard it from, from heaven. But I'm hoping that you caught something today of just how much God loves you, how valuable you are. And that in this house, in this house, if you will give yourself, if you will plant yourself, if you will open up your heart, you'll find that God's value you begin to believe the impossible. You begin to believe that, yes, you can. And people might call you, oh, that's a little bit arrogant, that's a little bit pompous. You'll say, no, 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 I believe I can only because God is with me. He really likes me. His favor's upon me. His blessing's upon me. Everywhere I go, good things seem to happen. It's, it's kind of like, I kind of feel like one of his favorites. If I was honest with you, years ago, I, I, I had to have a word with God because uh, I kind of felt like, he was doing all this stuff for me and then other people, you know, weren't getting the same stuff done for them. And so I just kind of had to have, just kind of just step aside and, say, and I had to say, God, hey, this is getting a little bit awkward now. <laughs> like not that I'm not appreciative, so appreciative, but God, it's almost looking obvious that I'm one of your favorites. <laughs> and, uh, and the Bible says you don't have favorites, but you know, whatever's going on here, you know, it's, it's just kind of looking that way. You know, and they're noticing, they're commenting, you know, wow, everything seems to work for you. And, not, you know, and I'm like, it's a little awkward. And, uh, and so God says, you know, like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, look, if I was really honest, I said, the way you make me feel is like the whole world revolves around me and it's awkward. Like, turn it down, stop it, be a little more discreet. And he said, so he said this to me, he says, so you feel like the whole world revolves around? I said, I know it's so sinful. I know it's so bad. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, where do I live? And I'm like, oh, oh, the street address? He's like, no, no. Like, where, where, where do I live? Where do I dwell? I'm like, in me? He's like, exactly. He goes, and the whole universe revolves around me. And so if I live in you, and he said, Jürgen, you've given me all of your life for me to do stuff in, and I can do so much. He says, and he pointed that person, he said, this person, he says, they've only given me little slivers and little thing, little pieces of their life. And I can only do little bits and pieces in there. But because you've given me all of you, I can do so much. How much of you does God have? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 